see those that are back. I know the weather has been uh, not the most inviting to come out, but we thank God anyway for uh, his granting unto us the opportunity to be able to uh, fellowship with one another, but most importantly, to worship and serve him. Um, I'm always uh, indebted to God for the opportunity to be able to stand before him for his people, uh, to be able to preach a little bit of uh, his word. Uh, by no means do I ever profess to know it all. Um, I just try to encourage individuals and prayerfully. I always pray that something I say, uh, maybe it's one scripture, that will encourage members to, uh, to think a little deeper about uh, their relationship with God and, and prayerfully encourage them going to live better in the future uh, than maybe you have lived in the past. Um, also, uh, you know, I, I try to know Mike and, and Wes have been uh, working diligently with our theme, and so I wanted to uh, do something in harmony with the theme. Um, so you guys bear with me. It, it may not be on their level, but uh, I thank God at least for the opportunity uh, to be able to stand in one of the shoes, and one of them would have been speaking tonight. So uh, I thank them for that opportunity. First Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I know I, I've spoken to you before from this particular book. I probably have mentioned it before in Bible classes. There are certain chapters that I believe every single church of Christ um, should be reminded of because of the significance that it may have on the body of Christ. And this particular chapter, for those of you that are Bible students, you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked to that church, and we know Corinth struggled with so many things. And he took this opportunity to help them to understand their relationship. And so I just thought I would use this as a text uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, um, probably only in the beginning, uh, but uh, I thought I would use this as a text because it's a good reminder for even, and as Mike and Wes have been preaching, you know, we've been talking about in my church, trying to make it personal. And one thing that First Corinthians chapter 12 does is it, it makes it personal for everyone. You know, there are many other scriptures that you know, we look at and we say, well, that's for that person or for, the, for this person, uh, not me. But this brings it home because uh, Paul tells them in chapter 12, the scripture text that Everton read, I appreciate that, the body is one, although it has many members. And the reason why I wanted uh, to bring this up, because as we talk about East Orange, in my church, my church here at East Farm, we have to remember that as we, you know, I did something. That's what happens when you talk with your hands, you're moving things and pushing things. Uh, but uh, if we look at our body, you know, there is not a portion, I'm going to step out here and just kind of avoid looking at the boots because of the weather. But when you look at your body, there is not a single part, single member of your body that you would probably say, you know what, I could do without this pain. And that you'll just go and chop it off. And then the same is with the church. 
And so I appreciate Wednesday night the updates. I appreciate the announcements before our services because it helps me to know that when I go to God, I want God to know that I'm concerned about my body. And just as he tells us here, every single member in the congregation is a member of the body of Christ. And so we, as a member of the body, should be concerned about the other parts. You know, because I don't do a whole lot with this pinky, I don't even put a ring on the pinky. Because I don't, you know, I just cut it off. No. But you know what? If I lost that pinky, it's amazing how much my body would feel it. And so we as members, when we talk about in the church, you know, I think sometimes we become complacent. And, and I'll admit there are times that every now and then i got to, you know, hit myself, kick myself, remember, oh, man, you know, I didn't speak to, you know, Brother Ed. I didn't speak to Econ this week. Or, you know, and, and it's hard when you have a lot of members. But we should always be trying to find out about the body. And so we realize that the church, because it's, it's one, it's singular, and it has many members, we can't neglect any of the members. And so when we hear those updates, that's encouraging for us. And so we are to be mindful of that. But that's not what I want to talk about, but because the message is about the church, I did want to bring that out, especially when you have a congregation that has over 100 members on any given Sunday morning. And you're trying to talk. There have been times when I said, before, before we leave, I want to talk to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And because somebody stops me, now the challenge is to try to get to them. Because someone else, it's hard. But if we're always mindful, we always have an exercise of being concerned about the members, then we know, in fact, that, you know, God will make way, and I, and I think if, if you tell somebody, and, I, and I'm guilty of not telling somebody, because you know, I have a hard time saying no to people, or, or stopping someone that approaches me, but um, if we just tell them, hey, you know, I'm trying to talk to so-and-so, and, and sometimes when you do that, and you get to the point where you last saw them, they're now in another section of the church building. And so it, it's difficult, but you have a desire to do what God would have you to do. And that's be concerned about the member. And I'm not going to read it. We're not going to go through it because that's not the focus of my message. But you'll see here where Paul talks about those members that are, that we would think are like the tongue, for instance. You know, when we say, well, you know, most, most of the pressure I put is on my big toe. So, you know, I could probably do without that little toe. Uh, I think you have some balance issues if you lose even that little member of your foot. And so um, those are some things that we want to be mindful of. I'm going to do, as you know, Brother Sproul, I don't know PowerPoint, so I give you old school PowerPoint. And I like to do messages where I can give at least some type of PowerPoint, even if it's old school. But um, I, I like to do messages where we look at characteristics in the Bible. And I know I did that before about the Christians, but since we're talking about the church, I want us to look at some characteristics of the church. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter. We're going to probably spend a good portion of time in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter 
gives us some characteristics of the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. We can look at other scriptures of the Bible that help us to understand the significance of the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse number uh, 18. We see that Paul told the church of Colossae, he is, talking about Christ is the head of the body, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so Christ is the head of the body, the church. And so as a result, uh, we have to recognize that Christ is concerned about his body. And you know what? I'm no doubt Christ is concerned about the characteristics that his body portrays to the world. Jesus said when he was here, he said, you're the salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5. If you lose your flavor, how is the world going to be salted? How is the world going to be preserved? How is the world going to know the flavor of Christianity, if you will, if you don't have it? We know the world's not giving. Washington, D.C. sure isn't giving the flavor of a Christian, characteristics of a Christian. There's more fighting in, 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 in D.C., in the capital, than there is in some of our homes. And they're in public. And so we have to realize that Christ is concerned about the church, and so he obviously, he came here, he established it, and so as a result, we ought to exemplify that which Christ would have us do. First characteristic of the church is it is consecrated. The only thing when I do my old school character, so my old school PowerPoint, because I don't spell as well, so uh, you guys just uh, bear with my spelling. It's consecrated. That's not a word that we hear every day. It's not a word that we even hear every Sunday that we come together to worship God. So what is consecrate? It means set apart. The church is, in fact, set apart. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. We see where Peter says, To whom coming as unto a lively stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. God has chosen the church naturally because... Christ established the church. He's the Son of God. And so we are, in fact, set apart. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This is the chapter where everybody goes, but they want to tell somebody, you forsook the assembly of the saints together. In verse number 25. What they didn't read, maybe, was the verses preceding that. Beginning in verse number 19, the Hebrew writer says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Christ himself has consecrated the church. And so one of our characteristics is that we ought to live with the idea that we are in fact consecrated. Now, we know that we are to live amongst the world. Jesus said, let the tares and the wheat grow together. But we are 
separated. We are consecrated from a spiritual standpoint. God has always had a place for his people to worship him. And so we come here to worship and prayerfully our encouragement to the world. We, we show them through the, the way that we worship, that we worship according to scripture, that we are set apart from the world. No other religious organization that does the things that we do. A lot of them will try to duplicate, as somebody said, often imitate it, but never duplicate it. They will try to do those things. The problem is, they always fall short somewhere. And our encouragement is that we stay with the Word of God. And we realize that as a result of our consecration, all right, we're set apart from the world. We want them to come. We want them to witness New Testament worship. We want them to witness in accordance with the way they witnessed in the first century. But the only, it's not that they come and they join us. They have to do the things that Christ has said they ought to do in order to be consecrated with us, to be set apart with us. His blood was shed for the remission of sin. And they need to recognize that. They need to be baptized for the remission of their sin. As the Hebrew writer said, without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 27 tells us that when we have been baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. And so that helps us to understand the consecration that Christ has given us. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, we see that it was in fact the blood of Jesus Christ that purchased the church which consecrated it with his own blood. And so the first characteristic is that the church is consecrated. The second characteristic is that the church is, in fact, holy. We studied this last year. This was our theme, uh, that I be holy for I am holy. And so just as our Father, who is holy, we ought to be holy. And that was our scripture text from 1 Peter. Back up a chapter, chapter number one, for those of you that are visiting and weren't here with us last year. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse number 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto, unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so the church, in fact, has to be holy. Well, listen, we hear people talk about, you know, they criticize us because they say, you're holier than that. You think you're holier than that. And they use that as a mockery. And if someone says to that, I would say to them, yeah, I don't think I'm better than you, but yeah, I'm holy because the God who accepted me into his family, is holy. And that is our, that's the scripture. But because they don't know the scripture, they don't understand that that is a characteristic that we should have. And, and we, should, we should tell them, yeah, I, I resemble that remark. We don't say we resent that, we resemble that. Because if we're holy, if we're trying to be holy, then we're going to try to resemble that which is holy. When when we try to correct some at, someone at our place of employment because maybe they're telling, you know, 
off-color jokes. Uh, they're, they're, someone's talking about someone, teasing someone, trying to get somebody upset, trying to get somebody in trouble at school, our young people. we got to let them know that, you know what, we're, we're set apart. We're holy. That's not what God wants people to do. The characteristic of my life cannot be to go along with the crowd to get along with the crowd. We have to be different. And so our characteristic is different. And what, is, what does holy mean? It means that we're sacred. Uh, I believe it's hollow. And, and that, we're not talking about the holy and reverend that, that, the, that the psalmist talks about, but we are, in fact, holy because God is holy. The only way we can be one with God is to be holy. And he, he encourages us, as the scriptures teach us, to be holy just like he is. And so when individuals come into this congregation, do they see the, the, type, of, the type of characteristic that we're holding? Or do they see that we don't care? Or, or that we're more concerned about the clock? And, and what time is it, you know, uh, am I going to miss the football game? Uh, are we more concerned about somebody texting me on my phone? And so we recognize that our holiness comes from the one 
who has called us out of the world and into the marvelous life of Jesus Christ. Our third characteristic of the church is that it, it ascribes to be on spot. We know the church, you know, has issues and, and you know, there are individuals in the church, but the goal is that we be on spot. And all that means is without sin. Our, our, our objective is to strive to be perfect. In uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in, in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. He gave us his word so that we could be unspotted. The church should desire to be unspotted. That's the only way we can have a relationship with God. Otherwise, we have no relationship with him. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 1, it's not that God's hand is short that he can't save us. It's not that his ear is hard that he can't hear us. But it's our iniquities that have separated us from our God. And so our desire, our goal, is to be on spot. Is to be without sin. Is to strive to, to do those things that will please God. Plus also, we want to be in that number that Christ comes back for. What, is, uh, what does Paul tell the church at Ephesus? In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 27. Paul told the church at Ephesus that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. One of the characteristics of the church is to be unspotted. Our goal, we're not trying to live for the world. We're not trying to do the things the other world, the, excuse me, the other religious organizations want, want to do to bring numbers in. They just want to get everybody in and, 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 you know, just have them there. We want to teach them the truth. We want to help them to understand how it is that you can be a part of the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Jesus talks about how he established his church. His disciples came to him. He asked, well, who do men say that I am? Some said Jeremiah. Some said John the Baptist. Or one of their prophets. He said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not man hasn't revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so he said, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church was founded on that confession. And so we have to recognize that we're striving to be a part of the body of Christ. And he's coming back to present it to himself without spot, without blemish. And we have to strive. It's hard. There's a lot of temptation. The bottom line is if we try to face Satan on our own, he's going to win every time. But when we face Satan with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, if God before us, as Paul told the church in Rome, who can be against us? And so we go we tell Satan, get thee hence. We let him know Jesus is Lord in our life. Just like he, that, that dangling that carrot in front of us, trying to get us to bite. We let him know, no. And we 
we have a perfect example, Jesus Christ. He thought he could, he thought he could uh, tempt Jesus into giving in to him when he was at his weakest point. After fasting in the garden, 40 days or 40 nights, Jesus went to the Word. Greatest example, one of the greatest examples that he's given for us to be able to overcome. Go to the Word. It is written. It is written. When that temptation comes, let's see where it is written. So we can remain unspotted. And we can hold on to that characteristic that God would have us to have. In, uh, in our in our other, our second scripture text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. These are some of the things that hinder us from being unspotted. He says, Wherefore lay aside all malice and all God, hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. These are things that the world throws in Satan will tempt us with. And sometimes we get caught up and we give in. We start cursing and swearing because that's what we hear and, and we think that that's what people want to hear. You got comedians out there that they just they can't they can't say a lie without cursing. But yet there are comedians out there that they do their stand up act, never say a curse word. It's just a matter of what 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 your desire is, what you're trying to accomplish, or what it is you're trying to say. And as 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 a Christian, we realize that what is what does Paul tell the church of Colossae? He said in verse in chapter three, verses one through five, he says, "If you be risen with Christ, and we're consecrated, we're holy. What do you do if you're risen with Christ?" He says, "Set your affection on things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God." And so we don't desire to do those things that are earthly. We don't desire to you know hang out at the water cooler so to see what they're talking about in the office. The latest gossip. We're not doing that. We're not going to the happy hours, you know, where everybody's you know drinking, getting drunk. And, and, and you know, the, the amazing thing about say about this, about getting drunk, they don't even remember what they did the night before. Why would I want to go somewhere and do something? I'm not even going to remember what I did. That's not what we want to do. We want to remember the good times we have in Christ. We want to be with our brothers and sisters so I can remember, so I can tell someone, I can encourage someone else to do those same things. Our fourth characteristic is the church is righteous. The church is righteous. And basically what that word means, when I looked that up, it said purity of heart and rectitude of life. Or honesty, <laughs> just integrity. You know, um, it, it's not going out deceiving. A person who's righteous is not trying to deceive people. It's not trying to lie to people. It's, it, it, they want they want their their characteristics to precede them. Uh, I had a situation once. I don't know if I told uh, told anyone here this story before, but I worked for a company where. I was training a person. And that person came in because we were on flex shift. That person came in earlier than I did. So I came in at like 8.39. That person would get there at 7.38. And this one morning, went to the human resource um, director. Told her that the night before, I was raising my voice at her and, and screaming at her, cursing at her. And, and she told her, she said, Debbie, she said, if it was anyone else, 
she pulled me in when I came in. I was like, okay, what have I done? But she pulled me in, and she explained the story to me. She said she came in and accused me of doing all these things. And she said she told him. I've never seen him raise a voice at anybody since he's been here. And I think I've been here maybe at that point for a year. And so when your characteristic precedes you, it can sometimes speak for you when people try to accuse you of doing things that are uncharacteristic. And so if we are, in fact, trying to be righteous, trying to live according to the way God would have us, then, in fact, someone may speak up on our behalf and recognize that that's a lie, that that's false accusation. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 and 10, Peter says, But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Most of us are familiar with Romans chapter 6, where the, the, the Romans, after Paul explained to them, you know, about what grace does, and, and they questioned and said, well, uh, why don't we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. But look at the verses preceding that. He, t- he helps the church at Rome to understand the righteousness of man and how it came to be. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 17, Paul says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift, and of, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And so one of the characteristics of the church is that we become righteous because Christ gave us that righteousness because of his overcoming the world, his dying for us on the cross, we become righteous. We don't have to be condemned. If we submit to him and commit to his will, then we can be righteous just like Christ was righteous. And so another characteristic of the church is that we be righteous. Our fifth characteristic is that the church is carefully built. We have to recognize that as Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 through 6 tells through 16 tells us Jesus himself built the church and he tells us how on the confession that Peter made the foundation of the fact that thou art the Christ the son of the living God Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. He accomplished that. Paul told the church of Philippi that he learned obedience even unto the death of the cross. And so, 
Christ built the church, and then in Acts chapter 2, we see the church actually come to fruition, and then as a result, the apostles then, they built on that foundation that was once laid. In 1 Peter chapter 2, let's look and see what our scripture text says. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 6, he says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, behold, and uh, Brother Mike uh, made reference to this this morning uh, when he was uh, doing officiating the table. I lay in Zion a cheap cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And so Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone of the church. The church was carefully built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the fact that he came, accomplished his Father's will, died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried, but victoriously rose on the third day. And we now have a risen Savior. Not a dead Savior. Not someone that's still in the grave. But we have a risen Savior. It's a beautiful thing that when Stephen was stoned, Jesus stood. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When Jesus ascended back to his father, it says he sat down on the right hand of the throne. But when Stephen was being stoned, he actually stood up and Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of God. Because that foundation was laid. And Paul even, you know, as the church of Corinth struggled with so many things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he tried to help them to understand that you got to be careful about how you, you build on that foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 9, he says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another build thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. The church is carefully built. We need to be careful of how we add to that which is already built. And then our last characteristic is the church has to be. You know, it's very easy for us because we know the truth. We know what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us. We can get out of it. We can go out there and tell people, yeah, you better accept this. And, and we can do a lot of threatening and be arrogant and, and kind of pompous and on our high horse. We've got to remain humble. Knowing what we know, what God has given us, we still remain humble to make sure that we are doing things that God would be pleased with our transactions. And Peter says this if we go over to Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Them out, but then I got to go through putting them back in and putting them back in the right place. So I said, okay, 
I'll just go navigate through. First Peter chapter five, beginning at verse number five, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth, resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We know James writes in harmony with that in James chapter 4, verse number 6 through 10. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read that. But in verse number 10 tells us that humble ourselves in the sight of God, that he will lift us up. That's totally up to his will. And I know if, if, if he is pleased with our transactions, like David said in, in Psalm 23, I think uh, we were talking about that, Evan, uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago. In Psalms 23, he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that represent? Well, if you have a, like your dinner table, who usually sits at the head? The person that gets the most respect, right? That's the person that also is probably going to say the prayer. It's probably the father, the grandfather, whatever the case may be. And so God, if we're humble, we're righteous, we're doing it, we're, we, we have the characteristics of the church we're living with, even in our place of work where we're perceived to be the holier-than-thou employee, the one that people don't like, people don't want to communicate with, God has a way of lifting us up, preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemy where people have to give us respect because we're a child of God. And so when we exhibit those characteristics, who knows what doors God can open for us and the places he will lead us to, the people that he will put in our lives, the people that will be put in our lives for our encouragement, for our blessing. But we got to exemplify those characteristics. And again, this is, you know, my old school PowerPoint, at least these are the characteristics. There's many others, but these are the ones that at least spell church. And so, God wants us as a body of believers in East Orange, to exemplify characteristics, as we talk about this year, in my church, to exemplify characteristics that will show that we're consecrated, that we're holy, that we're unspotted, that we're righteous, that we're carefully, that the church is carefully built, and that we're going to, in spite of all of this and what we know and the, the ability that he has given us to be able to proclaim his truth, we're going to remain humble. If you're here tonight and, and, and you recognize maybe as a Christian, you haven't been exemplifying some of these characters. Maybe, you know, you haven't been caring about your brothers and sisters like you ought to. You can make that change tonight. And if you're here tonight, we talked about the fact that Jesus came and established his church. He died for his church. He purchased the church with his blood. And you are not a child of God. What better night would it be? There's no night that's not a good night to become a child of God. But this is the only night we have. And this is a great opportunity. You can come. You've heard the word. You believe it. As a result of believing it, all you have to do is repent of your past sins. Confess like Peter did, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then go down to the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your sins, and you can become a child of God and then exemplify these characteristics as we stand and sing the song.